Our first reading this evening comes from the first chapter of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The second reading is found in Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been brothered, betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Our third reading comes from the second chapter of the book of Luke. And in the same region there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The fourth reading is found in Luke chapter 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. Our fifth lesson comes from the second chapter of Matthew. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. As you, as you know who've been walking with us through this journey leading up to Christmas, we've been following the, the prodigal son story. In the prodigal son's story and its termination as it ends, the prodigal is returned to his father and welcomed back in loving arms. The realization that love had been there the whole time, begging him to come back, allowing him to come back, inviting him to come back. In order for that to happen, in order for the prodigal to be received back in, something, something had to be different, different than it was when he left. He had to find there something more, something more searching for something more. It seems somewhat elusive, doesn't it? Because seeking something more seems somehow unquantifiable. It's difficult for me to say what's more, it's difficult for you to say what's more for me. When you think about what it means to say something is more, we we want there to be some kind of a formula where we can say that's more, that's definitely more. And people seek that formula all the time, 
right? We know this to be true. People seek more. They, they want to grab more of your attention to keep that attention. And so they, they try to do something that is more. And trying to figure out what it means for it to be more, to grab your attention, that's, that's the stuff of entertainers. And in some ways, athletes and influencers. It's the stuff of, of marketing directors and advertising departments. People who are trying to get your attention and keep your attention to figure out what for you is something more. It's the quest of a lot of people in our society, people who are seeking for us to pay attention, something for seeking for us to keep the attention. And usually the thing that we turn to when we're looking for more, especially in our American society, is shock and awe, right? We want something that's different, something that no one has ever seen before, something that grabs your attention so much that you have to say, have you ever seen that? Have you? Because that seems pretty peculiar to me. I can't explain how that happened for the life of me. In fact, we love the different so much. We love the shock and awe so much that there are sections of entire websites that are labeled in case you missed it, right? I-C-M-Y-I. I think I got that right. I-C-M-Y-I. In case you missed it, right? For those of you that are sports fans, ESPN has a part of their website. That's just in case you missed the plays the night before. Those plays that were so spectacular, you just have to see them. There's supposedly something more. Something more grabs our attention, especially when it's shock and awe. Recently, my wife and I had the opportunity to see Chris Bodie, a jazz, a jazz trumpeter, play at the Palladium here in Carmel. And it was, it was fantastic. His show was great. But the one who stole the show, the one who you had to see, was his drummer, a man named Lee Pearson. And Lee was phenomenal. I mean, throughout the entire show, the stuff that he did was so unique that it was the stuff we walked away talking about. In the middle of one of his songs, not as a gimmick, I don't know why he did it, he took a towel and put it over his head, and he never stopped playing. At another point in another song, he was playing behind his back, hitting cymbals with both hands. I have no idea how he did it. And yet it was so impressive that here I am on Christmas Eve telling you all about it. That's more. That's, that's shock and awe. But the thing about this kind of more, and you already know this to be true, is that it fades. Every day, there have to be new sports highlights posted for us to pay attention to. Every day, we have to see something more, something new. It has to be something different for it to keep our attention. You see, the something more, the shock and awe, creates in us a little reaction. It's, it's called dopamine. Some of you know this better than I do. And when we get it, we want more. It's the thing that gives us that sort of pleasure response. It says, yeah, that's interesting. And we need to have more and more and more because it keeps fading. And so there has to be something more than shock and awe. But the truth is, there is shock and awe that grabs our attention. In fact, there's shock and awe that grabs our attention in the Christmas story. There's more that's here. There's, there's a star in the sky, an impressive star, a star that some say shines with all the glory of all creation. Some say it's an alignment of planets. Remember a couple of years ago, the Christmas star that appears every 600 years? Whatever that star was, it was enough to grab the attention of some heralded wise men of these foreign dignitaries who had pledged their lives to a foreign king or a foreign queen, who struck out on a journey because of that impressive star that they saw. They come to the manger. They come to see this one who has been born, and they do something inexplicable. They bow down and worship. 
And understand, brothers and sisters, this means that they had to leave the king or queen that they left behind. There's shock and awe in the story with the angelic messengers, those who appear to shepherds in the middle of the night, shepherds who aren't expecting to see anything different, and yet are suddenly wowed, awed by what they see, whether it's heaven torn open or angels descended to them. They see the song of all heaven, glory to God in the highest. They hear it, and it causes them to change course, to move forward, to go to the town to see this Jesus. And at the center of all of it, is a virgin birth. That would be something you would tell others about. And yet, shock and awe fades. And as we hear the story over and over again, it doesn't grab us in the same way. It doesn't hold or keep our attention in the same way. That dopamine hit becomes something that we need a little bit more of, and suddenly these things become less impressive. So if we're unsatisfied, and we're still searching for more, then we have to turn someplace else. The next place that we might turn is the place of connection. If we make a personal connection with something, that personal connection draws us in. And if it draws us in, it becomes something that is a part of us, something that we participate in, something that we want to have for our own. Again, the stuff of advertisements, right, that tell us this is something we must have, something that attracts us, that we want to be a part of. I... I learned about this for the first time when I was in seminary. One of my professors was friends with a, uh, with a local TV news anchor whose name was Dennis Riggs, KMOX TV in St. Louis. That's him. Impressive hair, isn't it? Uh, Dennis Riggs is known for one thing, really, and that's that he did the first live on-site news report. So, you know, now we take this for granted when they like, now from the studio, we go to the street level where that car accident happened. Dennis Riggs did the first one. They did it in St. Louis because St. Louis was a big enough city that it had news, but a small enough city that if it failed, it wouldn't be national news. <laughs> and so one day he had the privilege of having the studio send it down to him at the, at the, at the edge of the Mississippi River to do the first live on-site report. But he came to speak to us not just about his first live onside report, impressive as that was. He came to talk to us about what the news constantly does. We, we know this to be true. It constantly makes the story about us. And so he said, you need to learn a phrase. The phrase is this, what's in it for me? He said, boomers were the first ones to ask this question. What's in it for me? This isn't the pick on boomers section, don't worry. Because we all ask this question. We've been asking it ever since. What's in it for me? What's my personal connection with this? That's why the news stories go, there's a big storm coming, what you need to know. There's a big storm coming, how you can make sure that your car starts in the morning. There's a big storm coming, how you can make sure that your pipes don't freeze, right? They make the story about you. Because personal connection causes buy-in, which causes association, which makes us say this is me. And brothers and sisters, there's a ton of what's in it for me in the Christmas story. There's a ton of this connection that God makes with us, the recognition that God has come down to dwell with his people, the recognition of what the Bible tells us, that there has been a rift that sin has caused between us and our God. That God Noting that rift, noting that separation, noting that sin didn't stay far off with accusation and pointed finger, didn't seek to destroy, but instead came to dwell 
as one of us. God came to connect with you. He came to come and pay justice's price. He came to bring you forgiveness so that you would know that you are loved. And that part of the story never changes. But sometimes our connection to it does. That other things in our life become things that we connect ourselves with. And so the story that doesn't change is changed by us because we have connected ourselves elsewhere and are less impressed with even this connection. Where are you tonight with the Christmas story? God's invitation never changes. His invitation to come and be personally connected with what Jesus Christ has done. Something different. Something more. What God has done for you. But it's not just about that connection. It's also about the content of that connection. The content that we see. And if it grabs our attention, we have to ask, is it meaningful and is it lasting? Will it endure and will it change my life? Is this something that I want to be a part of for good or just for now? And what I find so fascinating about the story So fascinating about what happened in Bethlehem at Christmas is that its effects endure to this day. Forgive me for a second as I do the little what I did on summer vacation by Scotty Geiger. See, my wife and I, along with some others from church, got to travel to Israel this year. In our travels to each one of the holy sites that we went to in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, all the places that the Bible names, we, we found something peculiar. It was a pattern which repeated itself over and over again. A pattern which, which I noted, which became disturbing as we moved further and further through the week and further and further through these holy sites. It's that at each one of these places where something happened in the Bible, since the event happened, there have been groups of people who have sought to preserve that spot. And there have been other groups of people who have sought to destroy that spot. And ever since those events happened, those two groups have been at odds with each other. We saw this everywhere we went, and it was probably the most notable in a little town which isn't so little anymore called Bethlehem. When we went to Bethlehem, all of us, we expected something different. We expected what we sing about in our songs, the sleepy little town, the off-center, off-beat town. That's what we expected to find. Instead, what we found there were two groups of soldiers, both monitoring the same place, three people groups claiming it as their own, all sorts of vendors and people hawking various goods as tourists were moving to and fro, not just Western tourists, by the way, but tourists from the entire world who had all come descending on this one spot. When you get the chance then to go in and see the spot that they claim to be the spot of the birth of Jesus, you're allowed in there for about two minutes because the line is so long and everyone's pressing in on you. And you're in this little place in this little kind of cave that people have made around this spot. And it's dark, and it stinks, and it's dirty, and it doesn't seem anything like a holy night. And as we left that place, I had that same gnawing feeling inside of me. Why is this true? 
Why are there people who are seeking to destroy this spot and others seeking to preserve it? Why are people flocking to this place even though two different militaries are defending it, even though three different people groups claim it? And the thing that kept coming to my mind is because of what happened there. In fact, it's the heart of what we're talking about tonight. You see, that place, and most importantly, what happened in that place, matters. It mattered then, and it matters now. You see, our God acted in a real place among real people at a real time. And because of that, there will always be people who seek to tear it down and destroy it, people who seek to actively work against it while others seek to preserve it. In the midst of that, in the midst of that mess, our God comes to dwell. You see, it has to be something more than just a baby. Even a baby accompanied by shock and awe. It has to be more for it to matter. And it does matter. It matters enough to turn the world upside down. It matters enough to gather people every Christmas and beyond. It matters enough to gather God's faithful elect from the corners of the earth. It, gather, it matters enough for each one of us who is here to know that these things that have happened are meaningful and impactful, that these things that have happened are the declaration, God's declaration that he will not remain far off but will dwell among his people. God's work for you. You see, there had to be something different. There had to be something more. And the more is seen most clearly in the simplicity of that night. The simplicity of what God did come down to be born of a virgin Mary, to be born for us, laid in a manger, that this is what God did. This is what's in it for you. God's great love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this, this is what God has come to do. And this is more. I, I can't prove more, but I can believe it. This is more, that God loves you, that he loves you so much that he would send Jesus, that he would do it in such a simple and yet profound way so that we might celebrate that unto us is born this day in the city of David a son, a savior, Emmanuel, and we call his name Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, may God's peace in Jesus Christ fill your hearts with hope and love that you would know his forgiveness, that this is a place of something different, a place of something more that God has prepared for you. For unto us a child is born.